happening now, breaking news. A shooting on the Las Vegas city of Nevada. Police say at least three victims were taken to hospitals and the shooter is dead. We're standing by for new details. Also breaking six more allies in Donald Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election were just indicted. Nevada becoming the third state where pro-Trump fake electors now face criminal charges. And new warning signs for President Biden as he faces a potential rematch with Trump. President Biden's approval rating sinking to a new low in CNN's exclusive brand new poll. This, as Trump claims he won't be a dictator if re-elected except on his first day in office. Welcome to our viewers here in the United States and around the world. I'm Wolf Blitzer, you're in the Situation Room. This is CNN Breaking News. Let's get right to the breaking news on the UNLV campus shooting. CNN Stephanie Elam is on the story for us. Stephanie, give us the very latest on what we know this hour. Yes, a terrifying day, Wolf, for the people on the campus of uh, UN Las Vegas. This happening just before noon today, where they were getting messages all throughout the system saying that there was an active shooter on campus. They were getting text messages and tweets that said from UNLV, run, hide, fight. In fact, take a listen from the press conference we had earlier on today from law enforcement here talking about exactly what happened and where they stand right now. We received a call of an active shooter event at 11.45 this morning. Officers immediately responded, engaged the suspect. The suspect at this point is deceased. Of course, we have no idea on the motive. Um, there are a number of victims that have been transported to area hospitals. I want to assure the community there's no further threat. We are continue, continuing the investigation. And then there was a subsequent tweet that came out from the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department uh, that's from the sheriff saying that no more threat to the community. The suspect is deceased. Right now, we know there are three victims, but unknown extent of the injuries. That number could change. We will update you when we know more. Uh, we also know, based on uh, that press conference, that law enforcement has been going through each of the buildings on this uh, expansive campus, each building, floor by floor, making sure to clear out all the floors, making sure that they find anyone else who may be injured. And on top of it, you had all of these people on campus who were sheltering in place. They want to make sure that they get them out safely as well. And they have set up a reunification point at the convention center there in Las Vegas to get people off of campus. And they're going to slowly, they're transporting them there so that they can be uh, put back together with their loved ones as well. All of this, still having the area still blocked off, it was a sizable response with a SWAT team. Also, we saw some armored vehicles uh, responding to the scene. Uh, we don't have a lot of information, but we do know uh, that there have been patients that have been taken to area hospitals. What we also understand is that this was happening uh, near Beam Hall, which is where the Lee Business School is. We know it has classrooms, laboratories, uh, and also computer labs there. There are also uh, some reports that there may have been shots fired at the Student Union, which is very close to uh, Beam Hall, so unclear yet if there are two separate locations for this, but uh, law enforcement officials do believe that it was just one individual and that one person has been neutralized, uh, but a very terrifying day for these students who are in the middle of their study period, getting ready for final examinations before their winter holiday, and uh, being on campus and having this come 
through and come forward. We know that school has been canceled for the rest of today throughout all of the higher education institutions throughout Nevada, but still a terrifying day here. But they're saying now that the threat is over, Wolf. All right, terrifying indeed. Stephanie Elam, thank you very much. I want to bring in CNN law enforcement analysts John Miller and Charles Ramsey. Chief Ramsey, police say there's no more threat to the community and the suspect is dead. How will they be working now to piece together what happened here? Uh, well, first of all, it's good to be with you, uh, Wolf, but unfortunately, under these circumstances, once again, uh, right now, what they're doing is obviously processing the scene, but they're also trying to get an ID on the suspect. Now, they may already have that. Uh, he is deceased, uh, may have had ID on him, may have been able to do it through prints. We don't know if this was a student. We don't know anything, at least not on the public side, at this point in time. But obviously, you'd want to conduct search warrants uh, where that person lives, if he's a student, his room, uh, if he had a vehicle, all those kinds of things, looking for motive, trying to find through social media or something uh, that would lead them to understand why this was done. Uh, so this is going to take some time. Uh, they're still processing the scene. They're still going through all the buildings, which they have to do. Once you tell someone to shelter in place, that's exactly what they be able to locate them, uh, but also to make sure we don't have anyone else who's injured. So it's still a very, very active scene right now. And John Miller, uh, as of right now, the sheriff says there are at least three victims, but the extent of their injuries remains unknown. Is there any concern that number could go up as police fully sweep the campus? There is that concern, although I think we are getting kind of good hope from the amount of time that has gone by as they've had to break into some rooms, they've had to get key cards from other staff members um, to give to the SWAT teams clearing those buildings. Uh, but they still have, these are both big buildings and you know, you can't just kind of clear the rooms. You have to clear the rooms, the closets, you know, look under the desks um, because we have experience from prior active shooter incidents where people will hide, they'll turn off their phones so it doesn't make noise. So they still have some clearing to do. But uh, the idea that the initial numbers are, I hate to say this in this context, are relatively small um, in the genre of these active shooters, this would probably be number 40 for this year, uh, topping number 36 for last year. I think last year was a record. So we've already surpassed that year to date. Um, and uh, and uh, hopefully that number stays low. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, it's very disturbing indeed. All right, to both of you, thank you very much. And there's more breaking news just ahead on the new indictment of pro-Trump fake electors in Nevada. We're going to break down the case and how it figures into efforts to prosecute 2020 election subversion. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. 
And now save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. There's more breaking news tonight. A new criminal indictments in Nevada tied to the multi-state fake electoral elector a scheme that was aimed at keeping Donald Trump in the White House after his 2020 presidential defeat. Here's CNN national correspondent Kyung La. All right, electors, that is six votes certified for President Donald J. Trump. This event, posing as an official ceremony, is central to the indictments announced today in Nevada. A grand jury indicted these six fake electors. They now face felony charges. Donald J. Trump of the state of Florida, having received six electoral votes, uh, is declared the um, winner of the electoral votes for the state of Nevada. That's a lie. Trump lost Nevada in 2020 by 33,000 votes. Joe Biden won Nevada's six electoral votes. The document they signed that day became part of a charade seeking to undermine voters' faith in democracy. Since that day in 2020, the fake electors have faced scrutiny, but they did not face charges until today and have continued in Republican politics. We found two of them in this Reno, Nevada library. You haven't spoken that you're not yeah, going to comment on whether you've spoken to anybody. That's going on, right? Uh, but so, you do understand it's a, please, it's a... If you would turn that off, we have nothing to talk about really on that. Yeah, I have nothing to say. This is Nevada Republican Vice Chairman Jim Hindle, now indicted. And Nevada Republican Party National Committeeman Jim DeGraffenreid, also indicted. Yeah, I don't have any... Contacted by investigators on that. What about the testimony in Georgia? The case that's on that. We've been making the roadshow around uh, the, the state. Crisscrossing the state, talking about next year's caucus. Is there any no. irony in you <laughs> going around with, as you, uh, to use your words, the roadshow, talking about 2024 when in 2020 I, you signed this I'm fake elector document? Questions. I apologize, but you, you know, I, this is not something I will entertain. Do you still believe Trump won? Yeah, it's irrelevant. Um, the Electoral College elects the president, and so the Electoral College elected Joe Biden, and so Joe Biden is the president. But how do you explain what happened in 2020, that ceremony you participated in and the document you signed? Again, no comment on that. We contacted all of Nevada's six fake electors about the state attorney general's investigation. I'm looking for Sean Meehan. This is him. And this is Meehan in 2020. Sean Meehan. President in the attorney general's investigation of the fake electors. I have no comment on that. Let's try it, so. You've reached the office of Michael J. McDonald. I'm trying to reach Mr. McDonald again. The leader of the fake electors, Michael McDonald. Current Nevada Republican chairman was center stage just last month. Trump! Trump! One of Trump's closest allies in the West. I want to thank Michael. He's been fantastic right from the beginning. McDonald has been summoned by both the January 6th grand jury and in the Georgia fake electors case. McDonald is also now indicted. And these are very serious felony charges. If convicted, they potentially face years behind bars. And Nevada isn't the only place where we're seeing some news out of the fake electors cases. In the state of Wisconsin, 10 of the fake electors there uh, issued a statement as part of a settlement saying that they disavow their actions from 2020, Wolf. And they do believe, indeed, that Joe Biden won the state of Wisconsin in 2020.
Kyung La reporting for us. Thanks for that report, Kyung. Now let's get some more on this with our team of experts. And Ellie Honig, let me start with you. How serious are these charges against these six fake electors in Nevada? And how tough will this case be for prosecutors to prove? Well, Wolf, I think we need to be clear here. These charges are difficult to bring and even more difficult to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. It's not as simple as just these folks signed these documents. They were false. Therefore, it's a crime. You have to be able to prove as a prosecutor specific guilty knowledge and intent as to each individual person. And if we want proof of that, there were seven states that submitted false slates of electors. Only three now, including Nevada, have brought any criminal charges against the fake electors. And if we look at Georgia, they charged their case extremely aggressively. They had 16 fake electors, but only chose to charge three of the 16 with the crime. And I think that reflects the fact that you need that specific proof of fraudulent intent. I think we can presuppose that Nevada has that here. They wouldn't have brought these charges. And perhaps that came from Kenneth Chesbro, who pled guilty in Georgia, and we know was involved in the broader scheme here. So they've got a tough road ahead of them, these prosecutors, but presumably they wouldn't have brought these charges unless they thought they could walk it. Good point. Uh, Jamie Gangel, how, how, how much do these indictments actually worry Trump? So, look, you never know with Trump what really worries him, but let's put it this way. They should worry him, even though he is not named in this case the way he was in Georgia. Uh, additional charges conceivably could be brought, but I think there's another reason for him to worry. Kenneth Chesbro is a critical witness, and he is now going from state to state giving evidence. Also, what does this mean in the federal case with special counsel Jack Smith, where Trump is the one named person, Wolf? Good point, indeed. You know, Paula Reed, as we know, uh, Georgia prosecutors have now gone ahead and officially listed former Vice President Mike Pence and several other key former Trump administration officials as possible witnesses in that case. Tell us a little bit about that. So this witness list is not public, but our colleagues have learned that among the witnesses who are going to be called, former Vice President Mike Pence, uh, former Attorney General Bill Barr, National Security Advisor Mike Flynn, and of course, longtime Trump ally Steve Bannon. Now, when it comes to former Vice President Mike Pence, that's significant because while he has testified and uh, been interviewed in the context of the federal investigation, he really hasn't been much of a factor in Georgia. So this is the first confirmation we're getting that they could call him in the context of a trial. Now, many of these other names, they all make sense in the larger context uh, of this investigation, but this is the first confirmation we've gotten that they're on this secret secret list. Yeah, important point. Uh, Ellie, uh Vice, former Vice President Pence is someone directly involved in Trump's efforts to try to overturn the presidential election. So what do these moves tell you about the prosecution's case right now? Well, first of all, Wolf, it tells me that the Georgia DA, the Fulton County DA's case, is very similar to Jack Smith's case. I think they're looking at very similar conduct, and they're going to be calling a very similar slate of witnesses, including very powerful people, up to and including the former vice president. You know, Mike Pence is an imperfect witness for prosecutors, but still, I think, potentially a very powerful one. On the one hand, on the bad side for prosecutors, Mike Pence was very slow to disavow these election fraud claims. He wrote an article in March of 2021, two months after January 6th, saying he still had concerns about the integrity of the 2020 election. That's not going to be good for prosecutors. On the other hand, he's a firsthand witness. He was the person who Donald Trump pressured. He was the person who resisted that pressure and refused to throw the election. So if I'm a prosecutor, I see Mike Pence absolutely as a witness, not as a slam dunk, but as an important part of the story that I'd willingly put on the stand. You know, Jamie, if Pence does go ahead 
and testify. It would be pretty remarkable to see that moment, to see him testifying in court against his former boss, the then president of the United States. Uh, uh, aid for the, these other officials uh, and, and the same thing for these other former Trump officials as well. No question about it. It would be remarkable if the former vice president uh, does testify. Same for the former attorney general, Bill Barr. I just want to underscore something that Ellie just said about his being an imperfect witness. While it is true that he was a firsthand witness, he had conversations with Donald Trump. He has said that Trump was wrong to do this. We have seen Mike Pence straddle uh, his relationship with Trump and January 6th, as Ellie pointed out over and over again. Cross-examination by Trump lawyers could be something the prosecutors take into consideration before they actually call him. Yeah, it's an important point as well. You know, Paula, are there executive privilege claims that Trump, Pence, or any of these other former Trump officials could assert here? Well, this question has really been tested, especially at the, the federal level with the other cases trying to assert privilege. And so far, those attempts ha have not been successful. This is a slightly different context. It's a different investigation. It's at the state level. But we have to remember a lot of the things that they're going to be asked about. Forget about privilege. These guys have written about in their books. Attorney General Bill Barr, the former vice president, they've talked about, about a lot of the key moments here. So the idea that they're going to be able to use privilege to not talk about something that they've made money off of in books Highly unlikely. Good point indeed. All right, guys, thank you very much. Coming up, U.S. aid for Ukraine and Israel facing right now an uncertain future after the Senate Republicans blocked a procedural vote on the bill because of a border security dispute. And we'll have more in our top story right now, the shooting at the university campus in Las Vegas. I'll discuss with one of the Senate's top gun control advocates, Senator Chris Murphy. He's standing by live. We're following breaking news out of Congress. U.S. aid for Ukraine and Israel is in very serious jeopardy right now after Senate Republicans blocked a procedural vote on the bill just a little while ago. CNN Capitol Hill reporter Melanie Zanona is joining us right now. Melanie, so what happens now that this vote has failed? Well, Wolf, the path forward right now is very uncertain, but it's very clear that Republicans are not backing down from their demands that border security provisions be attached to any additional Ukraine funding, despite increasingly dire warnings from the White House, including from the president himself today, who accused Republicans of playing chicken with our national security. Now, Republicans insist that they are still committed to trying to find a bipartisan solution on the border. Republican James Lankford said this is not the end, and Republicans are planning to send over a counterproposal on the border, but very unclear if it's going to break the impasse. One of the key sticking points has been on asylum laws. That's something that Democrats have signaled some openness to in terms of enforcing some stricter provisions there. But Republicans have been pushing for much stricter hardline crackdowns on asylum laws. And that is seen as a non-starter with Democrats. So we'll see where they go from here. But even if they can agree on something in the Senate, it's far from certain they'll be able to agree on the in the House. Over there, Speaker Mike Johnson doesn't want to include Israel and Ukraine in a package together. He wants to keep those two issues separate. And he's also been pushing for a very strict partisan House GOP security bill to be part of the deal. And that has been a non-starter with Democrats as 
well. So they are divided over policy, divided over strategy, and that is why there are doubts right now in Washington about whether they're going to be able to prove this critical aid to our allies before the end of the year, Wolf. All right, Melanie, thank you. Melanie Zanona reporting from Capitol Hill. For more on the Ukraine-Israel aid package and other news, I'm joined now by Democratic Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut. He's a member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Senator, thanks for joining us. I know you're leading these negotiations over the aid bill. Republicans just sent a very clear message that the bill isn't going anywhere without very serious border reform. Do Democrats need to make more significant compromises, as President Biden put it, to get this over the finish line? The decision that the Republicans have made is dangerous, it's reckless. Um, listen, there's lots of extraneous policy that I want passed as well. I support changes in our gun laws to make sure that we don't have any more mass shootings like we just saw at UNLV. But I'm not demanding that my list of proposals on guns be enacted into law in order to save Europe from Vladimir Putin. That fight is too important. And yet Republicans are essentially holding hostage support for both Israel and for Ukraine based upon their extreme demands about changing border policy. Um, yes, I've been in the room for three weeks trying to um, deal with this Republican hostage-taking exercise. So far, they have not put on the table any proposals that could win Democratic votes. Um, maybe we will get back to that negotiating table tomorrow after this unfortunate failed vote today. But Republicans have to understand that um, we are not going to shut down the border completely. We need to at least have the ability for people fleeing terror and torture to come to the United States. And shutting down the legal pathways into the United States, all that does is just encourage people to come here illegally, to sneak into the country, um, making a bigger mess than we have today. So uh, hopefully we'll be back to t talking reasonably and rationally about this tomorrow. That's my, my hope and that's my plan. At this point, Senator, do you think you and your colleagues will be able to actually strike a deal before recessing for the holidays? And just how big of a failure would it be to U.S. allies if you don't? Well, obviously, this is the fate of the world at stake, uh, because if the United States doesn't support Ukraine, Ukraine cannot win this war. Ultimately, Kyiv will be a Russian city, and we will rue the day that we left Ukraine to hang out to dry because Putin then could likely move into Europe or into a NATO country, putting the United States directly at war with Russia. Yes, I plan on us passing Ukraine funding, and my hope is that Republicans will be more reasonable tomorrow in their demands. I'm ready to support uh, immigration changes that dramatically reduce the number of people who show up at the United States applying for asylum, but designed around trying to stop people who don't have meritorious claims. I'm not interested in a complete 100% shutdown of the border. There's clearly room for an agreement, uh, and hopefully we'll get closer uh, to that goal tomorrow. Senator, turning to the shooting you just mentioned uh, at the Las Vegas campus of the University of Nevada, you just called on the Senate to pass universal background checks today. As an advocate for gun reform for years, what's going through your mind seeing yet another shooting like this one today? Yeah, I went to the floor today and asked for the Senate to move forward on my background checks legislation, supported by 90% of Americans, the idea that everybody should prove they're not a criminal or seriously mentally ill before they buy a gun. Expectedly, Republicans blocked it. They also blocked legislation to ban assault weapons in this country, and then three hours later, another tragic mass shooting. I I'm heartbroken by this. Um, but I'm buoyed by the fact that last year we finally broke the logjam. We beat the NRA last summer. We passed the first major anti-gun violence legislation in 30 years. And though the mass shootings have not declined, 
overall gun violence rates have declined by as much as 10 to 12 percent in some of our biggest cities. So um, we have seen what happens when you pass legislation tightening our gun laws. Less people die, uh, and hopefully we can get back to that work very quickly. All right, we shall see. Senator Chris Murphy, thanks as usual for joining us. Thank you. Just ahead, CNN's exclusive new poll may be sounding alarm bells in the Biden campaign as Donald Trump is speak speaking out on whether his second term would actually be a dictatorship. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Tonight, CNN's exclusive new poll shows President Biden is heading into the 2024 election year with his lowest, his lowest approval rating yet. The survey shows 37 percent of Americans approve of the job he's doing, the worst rating for any modern president at the same point in their first term. Deep concerns about the economy are helping to drive President Biden's numbers down. Our political experts are here with more on this poll and the race for the White House. And David Chalian, you're our political director. Let's talk a little bit. These numbers are pretty dismal right now. How worried should the White House be? Well, they should be pretty worried. This is not where any sitting president would want to be as they're about to turn in the election into the election year. Now, the election is a year away, so I don't think anybody needs to be, uh, you know, setting their hair on fire that this means uh, he is certain to lose. That's certainly not what this uh, poll is saying, but it does, I think, show some really clear areas of concern across demographic groups. He is below majority approval for with some of his own base of support. That's a concern, not just the overall number. And as you note, Wolf, the number one issue we ask open ended. What is your top issue? It is the economy by far. And on the economy, his approval rating is even lower than his overall approval rating. So that's a big problem for him. Certainly is. And Gloria, if we take a closer look at the poll, and David mentions this, among key parts of the Biden coalition, coalition independents, blacks, Latinos, young voters, Biden is under 50 percent with all of them. That's grim for him. I mean, particularly when you look at younger voters who were so important to his coalition last time, independent voters. You know, you've got a country where seven out of 10 people believe things are not going well and they blame the president. And, you know, young voters look at the economy and say, I'm not getting ahead. My mortgage rates are high, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, you know, the White House understands that they've got work to do here because it is a year out, but it still doesn't paint a pretty picture. Ashley, what do you think about these numbers? No, I mean, I, I would agree with Gloria. I mean, I think the White House is hyper-focused on these numbers, but no hair on fire. It's still a year out. Here's the thing is, you know, Joe Biden is classic, you know, put your head down, do the work. You know, he would often tell us Twitter's not reality or X is not reality. These polls aren't reality, you know. And so I think that's what the, the White House, although concerned, are, they're going to continue to put their head down and continue to, to plow through it and message forward. I, I think that's one of their downfalls is they don't look at reality. They look at what they see as numbers that are in their favor, what they perceive. 
But the reality is, the perception by the American people is that the economy is not good. Biden and the administration will go out there and say everything is fine when in fact it's not. And four in 10 say that they're worried about rising costs. And seven in 10 of those in our polls say they side with Republicans on the economy, on crime, on immigration, and on policing. And those numbers are dire for, for, for President Biden. And it does, it's a, it's a positive sign for Republicans as we head into- Republicans, uh, but not necessarily Donald Trump. You know, that's the, that's the question. Alice, let me get your thoughts on uh, Trump. He made some shocking comments in that Fox town hall last night. Let me play a clip. Watch this. Under no circumstances, you are promising America tonight. You would never abuse power as retribution against anybody. Except for day one. Except for? He's going crazy. Except for day one. Meaning? I want to close the border and I want to drill, drill, drill. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, no, 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 other than day one. We're closing the border, and we're drilling, drilling, drilling. After that, I'm not a dictator. Those are pretty stunning comments coming from the Republican frontrunner. Right, and Sean Hannity was there trying to help him help himself, and he wouldn't do it. And look, look, yeah, that was a dumb thing to say, but clearly, you know, I'm very critical of the former president, but he was clearly joking, and he didn't mean that. And that's about as believable and credible as what he will be able to do as when he ran uh, before saying, I'll build a wall in Mexico. How do you know he was joking? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You, you could tell in the way he was acting and the way it was received by Hannity. It was, it was clearly not something he was serious about. Look, and I think the good thing is there are enough guardrails in place if and when he were to be elected that he wouldn't be able to accomplish a lot of those things that he's doing. And I think the, the bigger concern, I feel like, is something not what uh, President Trump joked about, but what President Biden actually did say uh, recently in a, in a private conversation where he said, the only reason I'm running is because Donald Trump is in the race. And that's a concern because he's not running on his record. He's running just because he doesn't like Donald Trump. I mean, th- here, here's the thing. I think Liz Cheney said it best, which is that we're slow walking as a nation towards a dictatorship. I don't know anyone that would not take Donald Trump at his word. When he came down that escalator, he made very clear what his objectives were gonna do. I was on the front lines working for Speaker Pelosi. He did all of those things and absolutely more. One million Americans lost their job, their lives because of COVID. You know, he had net negative gain in jobs, right? He admittedly tried to steal and cheat the election, right? And, and antagonize an attack on the Capitol. Why would we not believe any with his word. Why would we think that that was a joke? I mean, I think that's the real concern is that Republicans and the Republican primary voters are not living in reality when it comes to Donald Trump. And I think Liz Cheney has it right, which is that as a nation, we're slow walking. And I think that's also bearing out. Well, oh, sorry. Well, sometimes Donald Trump is is very candid. And I think in the Hannity town hall, he was candid, not as candid as he could have been, when he couldn't just say, no, I'm not going to be an autocrat, he had to say, well, on day one, and I want to drill, 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 you know, um, but that's not what Hannity was talking about. Exactly. I think this is so key. Whatever perverse joke he was making about dictator on day one, and right. if you want to, that's a joke. What he didn't do was Hannity pressed him very specifically right. on whether or not he would rule out the notion of abusing power right. while in office, and he refused to rule that out. So apart from whatever he said about day one on drilling, and he didn't, he would not rule out the notion of him abusing the power of his And office. more importantly, there have been screaming headlines from the New York Times to the Washington Post about what Trump's second term agenda is going to be. And it's, and it's radical. All right. I think 
think there are there are going to be fewer guardrails because, Absolutely. as we all know, he's going to appoint people if he were to be elected, who are in sync well, you have speak with what he wants denier. to do. All right, guys, thank you very, very much. Coming up, some of America's top security officials are issuing blunt warnings about the rise of terror threats since the start of the Israel-Hamas war. We have details. That's next. Presenting breaking news now on the shooting today at the Las Vegas campus of the University of Nevada. Police are now saying three victims are dead and one additional victim is in critical condition at a local hospital. Meanwhile, two top national security officials are offering very stark assessments on the increased threats here in the United States since the start of the Israel-Hamas war, which has energized extremists here in the United States. Brian Todd has the story. Today, a new and sobering warning from the Secretary of Homeland Security. We are definitely in a heightened threat environment, and we are proceeding with vigilance. Alejandro Mayorkas's comments to CNN mirror those of FBI Director Christopher Wray, who told senators the current threat environment inside the United States is different now, from periods, he says, when individual threats popped up here and there. I've never seen a time where all the threats, or so many of the threats, are all elevated all at exactly the same time. That's what makes this environment that we're in now so fraught. Would you say that there's multiple blinking red lights out there? I see blinking lights everywhere I turn. Ray said the FBI is working, quote, around the clock to disrupt potential attacks by people who are inspired by Hamas's terrorist attacks on Israel on October 7th. Since that day, Ray has spoken often of an increase in threats inside America's borders related to the Israel-Hamas war. What's different about what's happening right now? Director Ray is talking about this. The threat stream has become a bit of a waterfall. You are seeing threats come from foreign terrorist organizations, ISIS and al-Qaeda, uh, domestic violent extremists. These are people who are following the propaganda coming from overseas who could be lone wolf attackers. Experts say the constant stream of televised images of October 7th and the Israel-Hamas war has led to a flood of propaganda from terrorist groups and extremists from all sides. Propaganda and often misinformation that can be almost impossible to filter. They exist on message boards, they exist in chat rooms, they exist in private groups, they exist in large groups. And the spike in anti-Semitic and Islamophobic threats and attacks has been significant, from the wounding of three Palestinian college students in Vermont to a Cornell University student being charged with threatening to kill Jewish students. The greatest danger is that lone offender who may be isolated, may be ostracized, and who is reading these messages and saying, I could step out and do something. Analysts say the ongoing Israeli-Palestinian conflict, even before October 7th, has often been a touchpoint for hatred in the U.S. What you're seeing are individuals who are taking the justification that they've been looking for and using it to go do the violence. These are individuals who have long wanted to commit violence, have long been you know, filled with that hatred of Jews, of Muslims, of individuals who are not in their in-group. Now, on the difficult task of trying to protect the public from this violence, Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas says government security agencies have just today put out brand new guidance to faith-based institutions with specific suggestions, ranging from building fencing and installing security cameras at places of worship to encouraging religious leaders to develop their own relationships with law enforcement. Wolf? Very scary indeed. Brian Todd, thank you very much for that report. Coming up. 
Secretary of State Antony Blinken shares a very personal take on the Israel-Hamas war and the rise of anti-Semitism tonight on CNN's King Charles. Gail King and Charles Barkley will join us live with a preview. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.